of our lives, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, what we allow in our homes, what we don't allow, what we allow in our lives and what we don't allow. And he tells us to let nothing take place, first place, over him. No idols, nothing to crowd him out, not even the busyness of Christmas that can, if we're not careful, push aside the true focus of that day, which is worship of the Savior. We look forward to the celebrations. The pace of life picks up considerably. There's much to be done in terms of uh, planning and scheduling events and uh, shopping and cooking and decorating, making plans to travel, all those things. The list goes on and on, and the pace seems to pick up. It gets faster and faster, and it seems sometimes as if we are on a, a dead run. It might seem like we're running all year long, but as the Christmas season approaches, it appears that things get faster, and somehow we find the energy to pick up the pace. We look back 2,000 years, and we think, well, in the time that Jesus was born, the pace was a little slower. Uh, certainly travel was slower, and maybe life in general was not quite as hectic uh, in those days to those people. But despite the pace being slower, there were many folks who were looking with anticipation toward Christmas, as we are. They didn't call it Christmas, of course. They were looking forward to the coming of their Messiah. They were looking forward to the day when the anointed one of God would come and he would make all things right. There would be deliverance and freedom and peace. They probably didn't see or maybe didn't understand that there would be two comings of the Messiah. He would come the first time as a suffering servant to offer himself as the perfect sacrifice for sin. And we'll celebrate that coming in about three and a half weeks. But he would come back a second time as a conquering warrior to reign as king forever. And those folks may not have seen that there were those two comings and that they would be years and years apart. But they were looking forward to his coming just as we're looking forward to his second coming. They were living in anticipation just like we are. But they weren't sitting back doing nothing as they were anticipating his coming. And neither should we. Those who were looking forward to the Messiah no doubt recognized that they were pursuing a walk with him by faith as they were trusting in his coming. They were giving offerings. They were making sacrifices. They were trying to live according to the law that he'd been given them. Uh, that he had given them. He, they were trying to keep the commandments that he had set before them, walking in faith. Just like those that we could read about in chapter 11 there, if we read the whole chapter. Although the pace for them might have been slower they probably felt at times that they were running a race. And it's not an unusual comparison as our text today tells us. It's alluded to even in the Old Testament, the psalmist in 119 said, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. And of course, we remember the very famous passage from Isaiah where he says, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary, and they will walk and not faint. Those who were waiting in anticipation of that first Christmas 2,000 years ago were running a race. And so are we, beloved. As we look forward to celebrating that first coming in a few weeks, our text reminds us here that we are to run our race and run it well. There are a lot of folks out there who are running all the time. They're running toward Christmas right now. 
And they're running what seems like the race of everyday life. But is that the real race? No. There's a much more important race that we run as Christians every day. As I look out at you today, I know that some of you are runners. Some of you are joggers. Some of you are walkers. And some are sitters. If we went out to run a race today, we'd all be at different places. Some of you would be way out in front. Some would be in the middle. Some would be bringing up the rear. And some would say, I don't want to be in the race. Just let me watch from the sideline. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we are in the race, are we not? As we've seen here, the Christian life is compared to a race. And for a believer in Christ, there is no standing on the sideline watching. Paul tells the Corinthians that in a race, all run. So he urges them and us to run the race. Not just for running's sake, but running to obtain the prize. He reminds us that we're not to run aimlessly. We're to set our sights on the goal. That's as if it's possible to take our eyes off the goal. And we know that's true, is it not? It is possible for other things to get our attention, to distract our focus, to slow us down in running the race. Paul told the Galatians that they were running well, but something hindered them. He told the Philippians that he didn't want to run in vain, as if that might be possible to run in vain. It appears that Paul thought that the race should be run properly and it should be run well. Paul has no doubt that he is in the race and that we are in the race. Well, how'd that happen? How'd we get in the race in the first place? Well, we know that the Christian race begins with our salvation. Before we came to Christ, we were not in the race. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and dead men aren't in the race. We start the Christian race when we are born again by the Spirit of God, according to His grace, and we become new creatures in Christ Jesus. He enters us in that race, and we're in that race every day until He decides to call us to our eternal home in heaven, where we'll spend eternity with Him. Only at that point, when we finally finish, will we have finished the course, as Paul says. We get entered in the race by God himself. Paul says that Christ made Paul Christ's own possession. He did it. It was God's work, not Paul's. And it's not ours either. God chose us before the foundation of the world, and he predestined us to be adopted into his family. And then, according to his mercy, he saved us. So we're in the race by virtue of being placed in the race by God himself. And being in that race is not an option for us. He put us in the race when he called us to himself. Usually when uh, we start out in a race, we're unsteady on our feet, maybe like a toddler who's just beginning to walk. But as time goes by and we get better, hopefully we walk with more stability and more steadiness, a better balance. And then finally, maybe we begin to run. Not necessarily fast, but still striving forward. It's not a sprint, as the old saying goes, but it's a distance race, and we know that to be true. It's a marathon, and it's continued until God ends it. He begins it, he ends it. He began it for us and he ends it on his own timing. Some have a a shorter race and they run by faith and they finish early, like our brother Daniel Heinrich. Some folks run a much longer race, like the Apostle Paul, and it goes on for years. Paul, at the end of his life, told Timothy, as Paul was passing the baton to his younger brother, he told Timothy to run his race and to run it well. 
told Timothy he'd finished the course. He had kept the faith. He urged Timothy to do the same. That's our desire as believers, is it not? To run the race faithfully. To run it strongly, without faltering. To finish it. To finish it well. To keep the faith. Because it is a race run by faith. I mentioned that Paul told the Corinthians to run the race in order to win the prize. And what's the prize? Paul said that he pressed toward the goal or ran toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is that upward call of God? Well, it's been described in different ways and having different aspects. We might say that the upward call of God is living with a a heavenly mindset, living uh, salvation to its fullest, uh, living fully by faith. Paul says in Philippians, striving for the faith of the gospel. Paul says he strains forward, he presses forward for what lies ahead. What lies ahead for Paul and for us? Well, Hebrews 11 tells us that it's a heavenly city. It's a city whose builder and maker is God. It's the glory of being in heaven with God and all the angels and the saints of the ages being fully conformed to the image of Christ. What a thing to strive for. Let's be sure, though, that we understand that the prize is not heaven itself. We don't run to achieve heaven, folks. (laughs) We could never achieve that prize because it would mean having to run a perfect race. And we're unable to do that. We fall far short of that. Heaven is a gift that we receive when we trust in Christ, who did run the race perfectly. Heaven is not the prize. Paul was running for the upward call. So we run for the upward call, setting our minds on heavenly things. God is calling us uh, upward, heavenly, toward himself every day as we run the race. It's a high calling. Colossians says, set your minds on heavenly things and not on things on the earth. It's, it's a race run with a heavenly mind. We are partakers of a heavenly calling, are we not? So running by faith for that prize might be described as running with a heavenly mind. The initial call comes to us when Christ says, come to me before we're believers. That call is to salvation and to a crown of life, of righteousness, crown of glory. It's a call to an inheritance that's imperishable, that's undefiled, that doesn't fade away, that's reserved in heaven for us who are kept by the power of God. But then we're called to an upward call of living, living by faith. It's an upward call, a heavenly mind, living with a future in mind. Every race requires effort, endurance, discipline to run the race for the prize of the upward call of God. To live with a heavenly mind requires all those things. Effort, endurance, discipline. Paul said he disciplined his own body so that he could run the race with endurance. It seems like that for Paul, life in everyday terms was all about running the race well. That was his passion. Should it not be ours, beloved? Staying with the race day in and day out can be hard, can it not? It requires effort and endurance and faithfulness and diligence. It produces fatigue at times. Sometimes it produces discouragement. 
The very word here for race, by the way, is agon, from which we get our word agony. The race can sometimes be agony. But for Paul, the aim was to run that race to win the prize. Is that true of all of us? Is, is there a temptation to be content sometimes with just being saved and going to heaven and just walk through the race without the drive to win the prize? For Paul, running that race properly meant that everything he did, everything we do, Every activity, every thought has to be geared toward running that race and winning the prize. Every thought brought captive to the obedience of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10. Whether we eat or drink, it's to be done to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10. Whether at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. 2 Corinthians 5. Whatever we do in word or deed, we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Colossians 3. It appears that that's repeated over and over and over. And that the sum total of running the race is that every step in that race should bring glory to God. Our text here in chapter 12 encourages us in the same way. That is to run that race by faith. The writer had just finished telling us that there were many who have run that race before us and they have finished well. Many, like Paul, kept the faith. Were they perfect runners? No. They had faults. They had weaknesses. They had sin, just like we do. Sometimes they stumbled. Sometimes they stumbled badly. But they ran the race by faith. Many of these folks went through very difficult times. Some of these things that we just read are hard to read about. Mm. Sad. But all of them were commended for running the race by faith. And that's the only way that the faith can be run if we're running to please him. Because we're reminded that without faith, it's impossible to please him. Indeed, whatever is not from faith is sin. All those folks in Hebrews 11 were sinners when God called them, and they were sinners when they were running the race. God's purpose was and is to glorify himself with sinners by redeeming them and giving them strength to run the race every day. They continued in that race and we have their names here before us because they ran by faith and not by sight and they looked beyond themselves to their God. We probably ought to say something about competition here. Those folks were not running in competition with each other, and neither are we, beloved. I'd be greatly intimidated if I thought I had to compete with some of you brothers and sisters. I see you running faithfully, and I admire you, and you were an encouragement to me. But we're not competing with each other. Each of us is running our own race to glorify our God. And this isn't a race of trying to outdo each other, having more or greater works or have some accolade or building some respected ministry. It's a race of faith. We might say that we're running against our own flesh and our enemy, Satan, if we're competing against anything, both our flesh and our enemy would like to hinder us in the race, prevent us from running. In fact, they'd like for us to just drop completely out of the race. The witnesses who ran before us had many difficulties to hold them back, maybe more than we do in some ways. But they ran faithfully, trusting in the Lord and not in their own strength. 
as we look at some of these folks and their sin that's recorded for us, we might say, how in the world did their names get here? But the phrase by faith keeps coming up over and over and over. And that tells us why, there's name, why their names are listed here. It wasn't their goodness or their hard work or their effort or their diligence that put their names in this honor roll. But it was faith in the God who saved them and sustained them in the race. Those folks who ran that race by faith have witnessed to us in how to run the race. And their names are included in God's word here as examples to us that the race must be run by faith and it can be run by faith. They finished the race as Paul did. They kept the faith. They finished with honor. As believers in Christ, we all desire to finish with honor, do we not? To run the race for his glory. To receive that crown of righteousness that Paul talks about, which the Lord will give to all those who love his appearing. Every one of us would love to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. We desire that not so we can be lifted up, but so that he will be glorified, so that he will be honored, so that he will be well pleased. Our text tells us here that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. That might give us the idea that those folks that have gone on before us are sitting up there like in a stadium or something and they're, they're watching us down here. They're watching us in a, a race and they're cheering us on. I'm not, uh, I'm not one who holds that kind of view about what's going on in heaven right now. Uh, first of all, we, we know that these folks have left their physical bodies uh, their souls have gone to heaven to be with Christ. So they don't have physical eyes to watch us. I don't know what kind of eyes they have. Maybe they have some kind of spiritual eyes. I, I don't know how things are with departed souls. We know that to be absent from the body is present with the Lord who does have a physical body. But I don't know what their existence is like. But secondly, I think that even if they did have eyes... They wouldn't be interested in watching us. I believe there are much more interesting things to watch in heaven than to be watching us run the race here. They're, they're with the Lord who redeemed them. There's a company of angels surrounding the throne and there's worship going on, worshiping that God of all creation. And I'd be surprised if they're interested in turning and looking back from that at this world of corruption and sin headed for destruction? I think probably not. Isaiah says he's going to, uh, that God will create new heavens and a new earth and former things won't be remembered. Maybe that's the case with them now. They don't remember former things. For them, what's going on right now are former things. So being surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, I don't think says that they're watching us but that they've borne testimony. That's what a witness does. He bears testimony to what he knows. It means that their lives and their sometimes martyrs' deaths declare to us that they were running the race faithfully. The end of chapter 11 tells us that although they ran by faith, they didn't ultimately get to see the promise fulfilled. They didn't get to see the coming of their Messiah, the ultimate coming of their Messiah, the Lord Jesus. They look forward to his coming just as we're anticipating his coming, but they didn't get to see it. We're in a much better position, beloved. Celebrating that birth in a few weeks from now reminds us that the Redeemer has come. He's redeemed his people by his death on the cross. We sang about that this morning. He's accomplished our salvation. He's returned to heaven and he's right now interceding for us as we run the race. We're in a much better position. And he has sent his spirit to us to encourage us in the race. His spirit is with us to provide strength for the race, to motivate us for the race, to encourage us in the race, to give us 
perseverance for the race. And one day when that race is over, we will join him. Until that day, we are in the race. We might be tempted to say, well, I don't like races and I'm not a very good runner and the race is too hard. Let me just coast along until he comes for me. Beloved, we don't have that option. And if we're considering that option, it might be good reason to examine where we are. If there is no motivation for the race, if there is no eagerness to strive forward, are we really in the race? We're asked in Scripture to make our calling and election sure. Remember, Paul says we are to run to obtain the prize. And our text today urges us to run. Scripture just seems to assume that a real believer will be running the race for the glory of God. There is no option of not running for a believer. If we're a believer, we are in the race. That is a drawn conclusion. But what our text tells us is how we are to run the race. And I don't think we need to separate this out into runners and joggers and walkers and so forth. Remember, we're not competing with each other. But we do need to think about how we're running and think about how to run better. And we're not left without that instruction. First, we're told that we are to lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely to us. We might see two different things here, weights that slow us down and block our running and then the sin that besets us. Maybe in some cases they're different, but sometimes maybe a weight could become a sin. Maybe there's a fine line between what might be a weight and what might cross over into actual sin. You know, runners don't run with weights when they're competing. In Paul's day, runners ran with no clothing or very little clothing because they didn't want anything to slow them down. Runners today wear very light clothing and very little clothing for the same reason. They don't want anything to hinder them from running well. Many kinds of things could be counted as weights for us in running the Christian race. Things that aren't necessarily bad in themselves, but they have the potential of slowing us down and hindering us in the race. Maybe it's the job that seems to consume more and more time. Maybe it's making the effort to get ahead of coworkers or get that promotion. Maybe it's time spent in recreation, watching TV, playing video games, efforts accumulating possessions or uh, just money itself. Maybe it's working out all the time or dieting, trying to achieve some level of fitness or um, some appearance or good looks. Could be... Uh, could be playing with the computer or some high-tech gadget or participating in sports or hobbies or watching sports or shopping or Facebook or romance novels. All those things could be weights that slow us down in running the race. Inordinate, amount, inordinate amounts of time that are spent with other things that hinder us. There are different things to different people. One person might need to lay aside staying up late because the bad hours, the long hours are spent on foolish, selfish things and maybe they're damaging his health even. Another might need to stay up later or get up earlier if he's not spending time reading his Bible and praying, any of those things could hinder us in running the race. 
Maybe it's giving up hobbies or club activities. If those things are keeping us from running the race faithfully. Magazine subscriptions, cable, uh, many things. You can think of a lot of things, I'm sure. None of those things are sinful in themselves. And we dare not become legalistic in saying what we can do and what we can't do. And you have to do this or you have to do that. But at some level, the question remains, are there things that are hindering us in running the race? Are there things that are keeping us from running by faith and running well? Is there a point at which those things become sin? Maybe someone confronts us about something or maybe we think of it ourselves and we question whether it might be a weight in our lives that's slowing us down. And our initial response might be, well, what's wrong with that? Well, maybe nothing in itself. But the better question would be, does that thing or issue or attitude or interest hold me back in running the race well? Is that thing holding me back in running faithfully? Satan is very good at entangling us in things that keep us very busy, is he not? Paul used another metaphor besides the race as he talked about that. He said, no soldier entangles himself in daily affairs because it keeps him from being a good soldier. His aim is to please the one who enlisted him. That's our aim, isn't it? To please the one who enlisted us in the race. Our text tells us here that to run well means laying aside those other things, things that entangle us or hinder us or slow us down, we're told to lay aside. Perhaps there are other things that don't take our time, but they keep us from running well. They keep us from running by faith. Like emotions or attitudes, things like worry, fear, Anxiety, indifference, laziness, all those things can keep us from running the race well. And the writer of Hebrews here tells us that we are to lay aside whatever is hindering us. He tells us to run with endurance. What is it that's to characterize our running? Endurance. Why is that? Because it's a distance race, remember? We may run for a long time. If Christ tarries, we may run until we're seniors, as I am. We may run 40, 60, 80 years or longer. A race that long requires endurance. And our text tells us to run the race with endurance. That's an exhortation not to become lazy, but to persevere in the race. Many trials come along in a period that long, in a long race. Many temptations to sin. Resisting requires endurance. Jesus said, he that endures to the end will be saved. Paul told Timothy that if we endure, we will reign with Christ. Remember, none of that means that we are running in order to be saved. We are saved the moment that we trust Christ. But it does mean that endurance to the end proves the genuineness of our faith. True believers persevere to the end. And those in chapter 11 are examples of folks who did exactly that. We can look back at those heroes of the faith and see the trials that they faced in running their race And we who are currently running the race testify of many trials and many temptations that come. And sometimes there is discouragement and sometimes there's the temptation to give up or maybe just drop out for a little while. I'll just let things slide for a little while. During those times, beloved, 
we need to be reminded that we don't look to ourselves for our strength or for our perseverance to run the race. We are weak. We know that. We cannot run the race in our own strength. God knows we cannot run the race in our own strength. And we certainly can't run it perfectly. That's why we're told here where to look for strength to run the race. Many witnesses ran the race and they all ran it imperfectly. So we don't look to any of those folks for the strength to run the race. There is, run, there is one who ran the race perfectly. Our Lord Jesus Christ. There was never a weight which held him back. There was never anything that hindered him from his running. He never stumbled in the race. He never gave up. There was never a sin which beset him. He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. There was nothing slowing him down that he had to lay aside as we do. He had already laid aside what he had to. He laid aside the glory of heaven, the fellowship with the Father, the worship of the angels. And he came here to show us how to run the race, ultimately by the complete sacrifice of himself. And while he was here running his race, he laid aside popularity. He laid aside the respect of men. And he instead allowed ridicule and persecution and finally crucifixion. He laid down that close relationship he had with his father during those hours when his father poured out the wrath due us upon Christ as he was still running his race. There was nothing hindering him here. And he had a more difficult race to run than any of us had, did he not? His mission was to run the perfect race and then to die for his people. His course involved great suffering. Hebrews tells us in another place that he was made perfect through suffering. Not that he wasn't already perfect. He certainly was. But it means he completed everything that was necessary to make him the perfect example for us in how to run the race. He did everything that was necessary. That's why he's called here the founder and perfecter of our faith. A founder is someone who originates a work or a business. God was the founder. He conceived that great redemption plan and he sent the son to be the one who would accomplish it on our behalf, paying the penalty for our sin. He was the person of the Trinity who became a man to run that perfect race, to offer that perfect sacrifice. That's what Christmas is all about. That's why he came to offer that sacrifice. He's also honored as the one who is the perfecter of our faith. His faith was perfect. It never failed. He trusted his father completely. He did always those things that pleased the father. He finished the work the father gave him to do. And on the cross, he then committed his spirit to the father. And where were his eyes as he ran that perfect race? The writer of Hebrews tells us that he was looking to the joy that was set before him. Where would that joy come from? From knowing he was carrying out that great redemption plan. From knowing he was fulfilling his father's will. From knowing he would redeem those who otherwise had no hope. From knowing he would satisfy the father's justice by having that wrath that we deserve poured out upon himself. From knowing that he would carry a multitude of folks home to heaven to live eternally with him and to worship forever. From knowing he would sit forever on that throne 
and that his redeemed would worship him on that throne. The joy set before him, that joy set before him outweighed all the suffering. It outweighed the ridicule. It outweighed the mocking. It outweighed the agony of scourging. It outweighed the crucifixion. Crucifixion was a most painful and shameful way to die, not even allowed for Roman citizens, and dealt out to our Lord in a painful and mocking way. But he endured that cross for our sakes, and he endured it to the end because he was looking ahead. He was looking at the joy that was set before him. Sometimes, Gary, we sing the song Across the Lands. There's a line in that song that says that he exchanged the joy of heaven for the anguish of the cross. That's unimaginable unless we consider the love and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to exchange what he had in heaven, the perfect unity among the Trinity and the joy that they shared together to come to this earth and endure the pain and suffering and shame of the cross is unthinkable. We cannot imagine the pain and the agony and the endurance it must have taken for him to stay on that cross when he could have called 12 legions of angels to come to his rescue. You think they were poised for that call? I sometimes imagine the host of heaven hovering over that cross, swords drawn, ready at a moment's notice for that call to rescue him. But he didn't call. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. The joy of fulfilling his father's will and the joy of living eternally with his father was more important to him than the temporary suffering and shame. Beloved, we are commanded to have that same mindset. We sang about it this morning, that passage in Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus, who, although he was in the form of God, did not think equality was God, something to be held on to, but he emptied himself. He took upon the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. He was found in human form and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, as we sang, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul had that mindset. Paul said in Romans 8, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. We are commanded to have that same mindset, to consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory set before us. Paul ran the race well, and he ran it with that mindset. That's why at the end of his life, Paul could say, I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Following the running of that race in victory, our text tells us that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. He is reigning there today, and he will reign until he comes for us to take us home to heaven with him. Until then, we wait anxiously for him, do we not? And we run the race that he set before us. Where do our eyes need to be? Beloved, they have to be on him. They have to be on him. How foolish to think that we can run that race by ourselves. He told us, remember, that we can do nothing without him. 
We are inadequate without him. Our eyes have to be focused on the founder and the perfecter of our faith. We could easily take our eyes off the Savior and look around at somebody else. I admire this brother because he's always reading his Bible and he's, he's saying what God showed him. I admire that sister because she seems to have everything together and she can discipline her kids and she can keep her house so neat. I admire that student because he's always got his work done on time and he still has time to minister to other people. I admire all the folks in my care group because they're all more spiritual than me. Beloved, that's dangerous thinking. Remember, we are not competing with each other. We're not looking to each other to see how to run the race. Might someone be an example to me? Sure. Doesn't iron sharpen iron? Sure. Might someone be an encouragement to me as I watch how they run their race? Sure. But if our focus is on someone else's running, that can foster a spirit of competition. It makes me work harder, strive, trying to keep up or maybe even get ahead. And what is that? Pride, envy, jealousy, self-centeredness. There's that sin which so easily entangles us again. Besides, I'd wear myself out trying to keep up with some of you folks. The race is not about competing with each other, beloved. We all have different levels of energy. We all have different skills. We all have different motivations. The Spirit gives us those things. This race is not about trying harder. It's about keeping our eyes on the one who ran it perfectly. It's about looking to Jesus. It's about knowing that he completed the race for us. It's about running faithfully. It's about abiding in him as we've been studying in John 15 for the last few weeks. It's about depending on him every day for the power to run the race. It's about seeing how he run, how he ran for the joy set before him, running for that joy. It's about spending time with him every day for insight and strength in how to run that race. Remember, it's not about running for heaven either. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior, then heaven belongs to you. And if you think you're running the race to make it to heaven, then you have badly misunderstood what Christ did on the cross. And we want to talk to you. Please come and talk to us today if you think you're running to achieve that prize of heaven. Christ has done that. Christ in running his race has done everything necessary for us to go to heaven. We look to Jesus for the power to run. Paul made that very clear when Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The power to run the race comes from Jesus living in us by his spirit, looking to him every day to run that race. As Jesus ran his race here, he was on a specific mission as he went to the cross. And that mission was to seek and save the lost to redeem his people. A major part of Paul's race, as we look to Paul's life, was exactly the same mission. And part of our race is that same mission. Same mission God is on, to redeem his people for his name. But he's chosen to use us as instruments in that mission. He's chosen by the foolishness of the word that we preach to save those whom he will redeem. So it involves the preaching of the gospel and running our race faithfully every day includes carrying out that great commission, declaring the gospel in the workplace, at school, wherever we might have opportunity. As we go about our days, 
We run into people every day who are running the wrong race. They're running a race to make themselves happy or to make a lot of money or to accumulate a lot of stuff. Maybe they think they're running it to achieve eternal life or achieve some standing or favor with God and hope they can be good enough that they can merit heaven. We have the opportunity to tell those folks that they don't have to run aimlessly, that the real race has already been been won, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the perfecter of our faith. He is the one who ran that race perfectly. He ran it for the joy set before him. Beloved, as the pace picks up over the next three to four weeks and we anticipate Christmas, let's remember that the hectic pace that we sometimes run is not the real race. The real race is run every day of the year as we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured, endured even the cross. May we run our race looking to Jesus every day and endure. Let's make our race this Christmas all about the one who ran it perfectly, Jesus Christ, our forerunner. Let's pray.